Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have the one, the only, the inimitable Dr. Benjamin Hardy on the show. You guys are going to love this dude and his story and his books and everything. We're going to talk about a lot of great things. So do me a favor and go ahead and share this live video out to everybody that you know and stay with us. We'll be right back. And we are back. Let me bring Ben on. Ben, welcome to the show. Happy to be with you. I'm very grateful to have you here. I was literally just texting with your mother a little bit ago. <laughs> She's like, no way, he's on this morning. I said, yep. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I started this, it'll be five years ago on April 24th, um, which is oddly Glenn Morshower's birthday, but I started this show five years ago. I've interviewed over 500 celebrities and entrepreneurs, and it's all about helping people have a breakthrough. And I know that, um, you've, you've had some of those from, from what I've heard in life. So start with, you know, telling everybody where you were born and raised, where it all began. Uh, I grew up in Salt Lake city, Utah. So, uh, oldest of three boys and yeah, I mean, what, what specifically do you want in terms of the story? Just how, how it was for you growing up, any ups and downs growing up? Did you have any challenges or was it a perfect? Yeah, absolutely. I would say the kind of biggest challenge for me was, I mean, I have great life, great family. Um, probably the hardest part was just, you know, it's pretty common parents getting divorced, right? So my parents got divorced when I was 11 years old. I'm the oldest of three and life goes very different than you had planned. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I think that it just kind of created, it created um, confusion. And so my my dad was very depressed. He ended up getting into drugs. Um, and just, we just kind of went through a, an odd, crazy phase during my junior high and high school years. And I kind of just blocked it all out. I was playing a lot of video games, snowboarding a lot. Still, ultimately, generally pretty happy. I think it really hit my my younger brother a lot harder emotionally. I kind of just blocked it out. And that's kind of that. Uh, when I was eight, I was lucky enough to graduate high school. Barely did. But I did have kind of this thing in the back of my head of serving a church mission when I was 19 or 20 years old. And so that kind of kept me a little bit on a path. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl, obviously, in Man's Search for Meaning, talks about when you have a why to live for, you can bear almost anyhow. And he just yeah. talks about the importance of having a purpose. And I think that that goal kind of was my light at the end of the tunnel, even though I wasn't sure if I was actually going to do it. It gave me a little bit of direction, a little bit of a North Star. And so because of that, I didn't just throw in the towel. Uh, I was able to finish school and ultimately ended up going and doing that. And it was that was kind of where I ultimately got went through a lot of big changes. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. I had Victor Frank, Frankl, Frankl's grandson on, mm. on the show not too long ago. Super guy. Um, which that book, by the way, is one of my favorite books of all time. I think everybody in the world ha should, should, should be required reading, <laughs> quite honestly. I agree. You know, you know that lady right there? <laughs> my mom is amazing. She is, uh, she's a superstar. She is, is amazing. I concur. So, so you, you went through, um, this as a child, you barely, it's interesting. I didn't know that you barely graduated from high school. Um, and then you went on your mission. Is that, is that the yeah, it took things. a while. It took a couple. It took a couple years for me to get committed to it and to move ahead. I guess you could say and make the decision. But I, I did decide to do that, and it was kind of like a point of no return where I was 
basically like I'm going to go all in in this direction and let it be a transformational experience and really go for it. So yeah, it was, it took a few years to get there, but once I did it, I, I jumped full on and let it be kind of a a life-changing experience. Where did you do your mission? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I love Pittsburgh. (laughs) I I actually have not, I haven't been back, but it's, I love it there too. Really? Yeah. I've never been back. It's been since it's been, uh, since 2010, since I've been there, but huge fan. That's my mother-in-law is born and raised in Pittsburgh. I used to live there in Dormont. So I, I love Pittsburgh. So, 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 and I've said, I, I, uh, you know, I, I never did a church mission, but I I've said that I think it's one of the most incredible thing. I've never met somebody that did a two year mission that wasn't successful. <laughs> I've, like never. It's something that like, teaches i i mean it teaches talk about teaching discipline and work ethic and it's incredible oh yeah yeah i mean for me it was a beautiful experience just doing service for people obviously teaching people helping people overcome challenges and obstacles i also just read literally probably a hundred books while i was there religious spiritual psychological philosophy stuff like stephen covey i mean i read all sorts of stuff uh journaled you know, that's where I fell in love with journaling and just writing about my experiences, learning about how to kind of heal my past, but also just learning how to write in flow. And so that it was during that experience that I I fell in love with writing and decided I wanted to be an author. I didn't know exactly what direction that would be, but that was kind of, that led me to being really interested in psychology and ultimately coming back and studying psychology and going down the path of becoming a writer. Is that what, so you went to, you, you, you got back, did you go back to Salt Lake then after your mission? I'm yeah. Assuming. Yeah. I lived with my mom, went to Salt Lake Community College, had zero college credits and uh, super, you know, you do come back from something like that with a lot more focus and clarity and yeah. like school was easy. You know, it's a lot easier when I, before, before I went on that experience, I tried to do college for a semester and try to do two, two classes at the community college and had zero zero ability to even comprehend it. Like I'd sit like in a, I actually ended up dropping out after a couple of weeks just because I had no work ethic, no skill, no, no purpose also. So it's just kind of like, what's the point? And uh, I had no uh, good habit. I just know no confidence or good habits. But when I came home from that experience, having gone through all that I had massive transformation and growth and lots of learning uh, school is really easy. Breezed through it, you know, got my associates in like a year and a half transferred over to BYU and just flew through essentially start to finish my undergrad in about three years. And wow. then, then started um, doing a lot of research to figure out how to get into the right type of PhD program. So you had a huge academic shift. I'm assuming you, you carried a pretty good GPA through. Yeah. It was like a 3.9 or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty, yeah. I mean, it was again, very easy after what I went through on my mission, you know, it taught me some insane skills of just learning being clear on goals, figuring out what matters, prioritizing, um, getting direction. I mean, it was, yeah, not that the PhD was easy, but getting there, you know, just cruising through school. When I first got home, there was a lot of, a lot of momentum. That's awesome. You know, this guy, Tom Chenault. Oh, I love Tom. Tom's amazing. Tom is. Yeah. I talked, I talked to Tom. We got to get you a copy of this, my man. We got to get a copy of this to you, Tom. Tom, I talked to Tom, Tom two days ago and his son yesterday, Adrian. They're, Tom, they're, is a, Tom is a bright light. That guy lights it up wherever he goes. He really does. Absolutely does. So, so, um, and he has no filter. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. <laughs> I love Tom though. He's epic. So, so. So you, you, you ended up, I mean, did you just keep going till you finished the PhD? Like you didn't stop? Uh, I, so what happened was, is I, I, I was not very clear on the, on the direction I was going to go. Um, I was wondering like when I was first doing my undergrad, if I was going to be like a professor and I was going to like write books and be a professor, or if I was going to become like a therapist, I really wasn't that clear. And so I ended up applying to 15 programs in what's called counseling psychology Okay. Uh, I was kind of just thinking maybe I'll be a counselor and I'll write self-development books essentially. Um, but I, I got rejected the first time I applied by all 15 schools. What? You know, I had a great GPA. I just didn't, I wasn't a right fit. I actually just don't think it was the right time. And so shortly after I got rejected by all those programs, um, my wife's, I had 
been married for about a year. My wife's sister came home from her mission, actually. And me and um, my wife, Lauren, and her sister, Janelle, and their mom, Janae, we actually went to China for like three weeks. And we just went on this amazing trip through China. And I met a guy while I was there, uh, just serendipitously. Uh, it was actually at church. But he was a guy who I was just talking to in Shanghai. And he was talking about his career. And he was telling me that he was what's called a leader at Apple. And so he worked for Apple and he was what's called a leader. That was his title. Essentially, he was over the whole Asian region. And his job was to train and develop the leaders and kind of reset the culture and, and make sure that the leaders were operating well, that the that the culture was right, and that everyone was just, he was just essentially overall people. And as he was explaining his job to me, I was just like, holy cow, I want to know what you do. Like that sounded very relevant to me. I was very interested in training and development and leadership development and things like that. And he basically said, I, I, he's like, I got to my job in a really weird way. He said he was an attorney and he ended up having a career change and kind of found his way into this position. And it was a really high level position. He said, but my, my boss is, is, is an IO psychologist. So IO psychology is, uh, it's called industrial and organizational psychology. It's basically business and leadership psychology. Um, And so I had heard of it very briefly, but I had never really dove deep into it. But after that conversation, when we came home from China, I started uh, like exploring organizational psychology and realized like this is a phenomenal path for just kind of getting the education and perspectives that I wanted. And I ended up um, you know, applying to a bunch of schools and getting right into Clemson University, which is where I ended up doing the PhD in organizational psychology. Wow. So, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it was definitely a cool fit. Um, yeah. Obviously that's where we got our three kids who we ended up adopting. So we felt inspired that we were supposed to be there, but also it was just a good education. It's not like I needed a PhD necessarily to do what I'm doing, but it did give me a lot of ways of looking at things that I think helped me in my writing and just how, I, you know, for me, education is not really what you learn, but it's how you learn. It's how you think. And so it just gave me models and ways of, of looking at and problem solving and thinking. And I, I still gain new, new models, even from Dan Sullivan, you know, like, or, or anyone I work with, like a, my, my goal is to find new ways of thinking, not necessarily what to think. Yeah. My wife is on here. She said, she says nothing is by chance. That is kind of a providential act that you would, that, that, that you would run into that, that gentleman in China on the other side of the world. Like, <laughs> like totally. I mean, he has no idea, but that conversation altered the direction of my life for sure. Wow. And sent us to Clemson. And as soon as we got there, we, um, we, so this was in the fall of 2014, which is when I started my PhD program and we immediately started through the process of becoming certified for foster care. My, my wife had grown up with uh, a bunch of foster girls going through her house. And so as soon as we got there, we went through that process. And then by January of 2015, we got, we started, you know, we got our foster kids. Um, wow. We ended up adopting, but so that was during the first year and it was you know, really interesting journey. That's, that's so awesome though. I mean, that tells a lot about your heart. And and your wife's heart that um, you you are probably mostly hers, and- but uh, <laughs> my heart is changing and it's getting a little better over time. <laughs> That's funny. So so um, you so you when did you finish the PhD program? Twenty. So it was a five year program. So it was from the fall of two thousand fourteen. Um, I finished it in April of twenty nineteen. Oh my gosh. Wow. So by the time 2019 came through, we were actually already living in Orlando. So in 2015, when we first started, I wrote, I actually wrote this, this book. This was a, uh, my first little ebook I wrote called Slipstream Time Hacking. This, uh, I didn't know how to become an author. I had no clue what I was doing. But when we got out to Clemson uh, and I started into the PhD program, it was at that point that I really started to get serious about like my future self as an author. I'd been thinking about it since I got home from my mission. So essentially from 2010 to 2014, I was studying psychology, studying it. I never actually like got serious about like, what does it actually mean to become a professional author? What does it take to get there? And so once we got to Clemson and I was doing the PhD, I started to get really serious, started to call literary agents, start actually writing. I'd never actually written anything. And so I wrote this as an ebook and I thought I could just go get it published. And so I called a bunch of agents and professional authors just saying, Hey, I've written this, this book. It's a short book, but how do I get it published? And they're like, well, do you have a website? I'm like, no, they're like, well, do you have any email subscribers or do you have any, do you have any blog posts or do you have anything what to, 
to say about, do you have any samples of your writing? I said, not really. No, I've never done anything. And so they're like, okay, you're, you've got a long ways to go. You know, like you've got a, <laughs> yeah. a website, you got to start building an audience. This might yeah. take you five or more years. Um, and so, you know, it, took, it, it didn't take that long at all, but that led yeah. me to writing on medium.com. I started taking online courses, getting lots of education and blogging. And it took me about a, it took me about a year and a half once I got started to get a, a book deal for what became willpower doesn't work. So wow. that was just that process. Willpower doesn't work. It came out in 2018, um, yeah. literally a month after we adopted our three kids. So it was a three-year journey uh, of being foster parents for our three kids. We were fighting the foster system in court. We ended up adopting them in February of 2018. We were also wow. doing um, fertility treatments during that time. I ended up publishing my book in March of 2018. So they were. we adopted them in February of 2018. Yeah. My book came out in March. My wife also got pregnant with twins in March. And those twins were born in December of 2018. So in December of, so we, we had the twins in December of 18. We adopted the three kids in February of 2018. So that was the year we went from zero to five. First book came out. We moved here to Florida. We could leave Florida because we now adopted the kids and they weren't like wards of the state. And so we, we moved to Florida down here. My wife's a huge Disney buff. And I finished my dissertation from here. With and then, started, and then started writing the next two books. Personalizing okay, wait, wait. So, writing. but you and I started writing uh, Who Not How with Dan Sullivan as well. So you had five kids and you're finishing up, and they're all babies. I mean, well, well, the older three were. So we got the kids. They were three, five, and seven when we got them. So they were okay. three years older by the you know we got them in 2015. So by the time we adopted them, they were essentially six, eight, six, eight, and ten. Six, eight, and ten when we adopted them, and then we had the twin girls. The twins, uh, and we moved here. And um, I actually almost got kicked out of my PhD program that year as well. And so I was lucky enough that uh, one of the one of the one of the professors there had had compassion and let me uh, finish with him. And we ended up I ended up doing my dissertation on what's called transformational leadership theory, which I ended up writing about a lot. Actually, in 10x is easier than 2x um, and uh, was very lucky to finish. I had many conversations with my mom. Actually, speaking of my mom, I was very close to throwing in the towel. I mean, I'd already published a major book you know, and was uh, doing pretty well in terms of like my work and stuff. Yeah. And there was a lot of obstacles to finishing. We are already now living in Florida and, you know, I'm really glad I finished. That's so awesome. Um, I, I, I just think it's amazing that you had five. I have a question, like how. I walked into a PhD program with zero kids and walked out a professional author with five. <laughs> They were like, what? who is this guy? <laughs> That's crazy. Like how, but how did you, how did you make money? I mean, you had to, you had a lot of mouths to feed. How are you, so, how does that work? Yeah. So basically during the first year of my PhD program, how a PhD program works is most, most, most students, they, they have what's considered like a university position, like a, like a part-time job, whether you're a research oh. assistant like helping some professor with their research, or you could honestly be like an administrative assistant where you're just honestly in some lame job on campus, just doing yeah. some paper pushing job, truly. Yeah. And so yeah. the reason you do that as a PhD student is because by working for the school part-time, they actually waive your tuition fee. So like they say, oh. you don't have to pay tuition for your PhD program. You're working on campus and we'll give you a stipend. And the stipend's about a thousand bucks a month. So we were... I was making a, you know, effectively 12,000 bucks a year. And, wow. you know, so that was my first year of my program. But once the summer came around, I was already starting to get successful with my blogs. And I told my wife, Lauren, I said, I don't want to, I'm willing to pay for the tuition and go all in on this writing stuff. I don't want to, um, you know, I don't want to do that dumb job. Like I would rather go all in and like really build up my writing career and get a book deal eventually. Yeah. And so I, I, from, from year two on just paid for my tuition, you know, it was like 20 or wow. 30 grand a year. And we ended up just kind of paying for that, taking on a little debt and stuff like that. And then I ended up getting the book deal and being able to pay for it eventually. But wow. I went all, you know, I went all in. Just, uh, I did, I basically, at that point forward, I was basically just doing my PhD purely for the education. I did the fully minimum effective dose, you know, like I take the classes, learn yeah. stuff. And I did my, my research, but I was not involved in any of the, in any of the community. I wasn't involved in any of the clubs. Like I just did the classes, did the minimum effective, just learned what I wanted to learn, did a lot more writing, put the writing way, way ahead of my school and would go home and just help the kids, you know, play was, sports and stuff like that with them. 
when when did you i mean it sounds like you had this um some kind of a desire as a maybe in a, a, later in your teenage years to become a writer when did no, that when, happened on my mission was it on your mission okay clearly okay. yeah i had no perspective of being a writer before my mission i had no clue what i would do i i just knew that was kind of my my only milestone was i felt like if i got on that mission i'd figure yeah. it out i'd figure it out from there and so wow yeah when i was doing that two-year experience obviously i was having lots of transformational experiences you know a lot of service experiences a lot of miracles seeing the hand of god and just you know but i was also um just reading tons of books and was having my yeah. mind blown and i was journaling a lot and learning to let go of you know let it let it go of the past honestly learn how to heal the trauma forgive myself forgive my family just like going through my own healing and uh, was just reading a lot of good books and being blown away and just fell in love with, with, with books and fell, fell in love with learning and writing. And so that's, that's where I ultimately decided like, I'll be an author. I didn't know what it would look like. I didn't know it was yeah. going to be like business leadership, self-help. Like I thought maybe it'd be spiritual. Uh, I didn't really know what it would be, but over yeah. time it's kind of evolved the direction. It and, and so your PhD is in organizational or- psychology. Okay. Organizational. So, so I know I, I, um, because of my, my stuff I went through and recovery and everything, I, I, I read a lot of books as well. Um, and I know there's, there's Gestalt therapy, there's Freudian, there's Viktor Frankl's logotherapy. And, um, like what are the different, and I don't know if you, if you can even explain, I'm sure you can. What are the different types? What of of truly? I don't have a. I don't. I don't have a clinical degree. So like, I'm not trained in different forms of therapy. To be honest with you, I'm like organizational psychology is much more truly work related, like motivation, leadership, culture, um, confidence, um, stuff like that. And so I, 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 you know, I was not studying therapeutic methods, although I've done that a lot on my own and of my own interest but i was not trained as a clinical psychologist or even with clinical perspectives got it got it i yeah i i find it all very very interesting myself so um but it sounds like the the um occupational side of it would be a lot a lot more fun (laughs) than depends on who you you are i mean i actually really do enjoy the therapy side of things and uh i probably would have been fine going that path but i i do enjoy kind of the practicality like i mean i was um you know my research during my master's was all on entrepreneurship i studied you know i i was researching with one of the top psychologists on the who studied courage like her whole all of her research is on psychological courage and so i when you go into a program like that, you don't necessarily go for the program, you go for the person. And so I was, I fell in love with her research and I wanted to apply that to entrepreneurship because it was at that point in time, 2014, 2015, that I was becoming interested in entrepreneurship. Um, I'm really close with my aunt Jane, who is my mom's sister. And she was a part of Joe Polish's group, Genius Network. And that's where she honestly was learning all sorts of stuff. She, she runs a company um, and she would start feeding me little materials from a guy named Dan Sullivan. And yep. so she would send me these books by Dan, these little books with all these quotes. And I was just like in love with it. And I was falling, you know, I was getting really interested in entrepreneurship. And so I studied, uh, you know, the difference between wannabe entrepreneurs and, and real entrepreneurs as my, as my research and my masters. And so, I mean, I studied entrepreneurship kind of more academically, but I was also studying, uh, you know, books like Dan's, you know, his, yeah. his material and other people's, and that's the kind of stuff I was blogging about and writing about, honestly, um, yeah. which ultimately yeah. led me to the book deal. And then my dissertation was on transformational leadership. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like the work yeah. stuff. I like uh, I like leadership and motivation and honestly, just purely like entrepreneurship and just commitment yeah. and, and identity and making decisions. Your your um, your your aunt Jane is going to be on the show next week. Well, she's she be is great. You will love her. I've I've had conversation with her. Your mom is incredible, as you already. She stated. is a super. She's a she, super connector, super networker. She's amazing, and I. Yeah, she so is. She is a very special, yeah. very amazing person. She's, yeah. Um. So so I can't wait to have have Jane on. She she sounded incredible over the phone. So, um, but let you know. So I know that, and for the audience that's listening. You got into this blogging thing 
Um, I don't know how you make money blogging, but it sounds like you figured out a way to do that. Um, but I, I know that over a hundred million people have read your blogs on Medium. Probably a combination of Medium and other places, but you know, on Medium, it was a high number. I mean, from 2015 to 2018, I was the top writer on the platform. Um, I really learned how to uh, you know, obviously you gotta, you gotta know the marketing strategies. You gotta learn how to headline your articles and kind of structure them. But, you know, then just like learning how to just write with energy and emotion and make it connect with the audience. And, and I read a book by Russell Brunson, his book.com secrets, which kind of showed me how to optimize getting, you know, the readers to honestly become email subscribers. Yep. I was already getting email subscribers, but learning how to like send them to a landing page and, you know, optimize that. And so I started getting, you know, I was getting about 20,000 new email subscribers per month, 20,000 with zero paid ads. It was all just through organic traffic through my blogs. I was getting oh about a million, a, a million blog views a month. But through those million views, I was, you know, at the bottom of all my articles, I'd have a call to action telling people, if you loved this article, you know, click this link and get my, my checklist, my morning routine checklist, send people to a landing page, that landing page, you know, 60% of the people who went there would give me their email. And so like every day, Literally every day, I was getting a thousand new emails, pretty much, just on clockwork for literally almost three years. Um, that so almost is insane. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy for all those years. I was just and, and and what was also crazy was is I really only blogged officially. Like I wrote about a hundred articles in like the first year and a half, and then after that, I would just literally recycle the articles. I'd have about fifty that were really good. And wow. I would just republish that set of 50 every like three or four months on Medium. Sometimes I'd tweak the title, but like literally if you went back through my Medium account, they actually made me delete all the doubles. But like there would be, you would see that like every four months, the articles would repeat themselves, but wow. the traffic just stayed the same. And so I was, I, I, I got to the point where I was pretty lazy. I was maybe blogging, maybe write a new article every few weeks, but I, but I had a bunch of old ones in the, you know, in the vault that I would just keep recycling through and then yeah. sending them to the landing page. And yeah, it was massive. I mean, it was a great time. Obviously that platform changed and my goals changed. I got my book deal and you know, it stopped being relevant. The platform stopped being useful. And so yeah. then from there it was, you know, 10 Xing as an author, you know, working yeah. on willpower doesn't work and then writing, you know, the books with Dan and kind of getting to where I'm at now over the last four or five years. Which where, where you are now is absolutely incredible. So, so talk about first I've, I, I, again, I told you I'm, I'm, I'm delinquent in my reading. Um, but I want to lucky because usually I won't go on a podcast unless someone's actually read the book, but wow. <laughs> no, but you're a, you're, you're a friend and a friend of the family and I'm happy to be here. Well, um, and you're uh, also I, very, you're very well read. So, you know, we'll connect some, we'll connect uh, dots fast. Uh, I, I, I promise I'm going to read your books. You got to um, read 10X. It's very, even just read the intro. Just read just the intro. Okay. Story of Michelangelo. You got to read the story of Michelangelo. So, so talk about, <clears throat> if you would, um, the, the, the 10X is easier than 2X. First off, the title is very um, captivating. It's it's. I want to hear your opinion on it. Why does it captivate you? What what do you find interesting about that title? Well, okay, so ten x to me means um, busting your butt, putting in ten times more effort, no sleep. <laughs> I'm I'm kidding, but. But I, it, that's very it much the means, Grant Cardone, the Grant Cardone view of 10x, right? Yeah, 10 times I mean, bigger goals and work 10 times harder than you than is seemingly possible, right? Right, right. And and so you you um, that's a false premise, by the way, of 10x. But go ahead, keep going. Okay, I so so 10x is easier than 2x makes me think. Okay, well, I, so maybe I'm used to putting in. 2x because 10x is just seems so unattainable um so what in the um, and so my thought is what in the world is he talking about how's how's that even possible to be real it's perfect um it yeah so that's so one of the reasons why i love thinking with dan by the way and by the, by the way that's the that's the general assumption about 10x is how could 10x 
how could 10x even be possible because 2x is killing me already like how, me i'm already going for 2x and i'm burned out right like that's yeah. already hard enough why why and how could i work 10 times harder um and that's 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 the false premise of it so one of the reasons why i like dan's thinking is dan actually does the hard work of trying to find the opposite. Like, I think that a lot of people on the conversation of 10X never actually thought about what's the yin side of it, right? You've got the yin and the yang. And um, one of the reasons I love Dan's thinking is he he clarifies an important concept, but then he does the, the hard work of seeing what's the opposite side of the coin, right? Okay. No one ever actually did that with 10X. They just said, oh, let's just think 10 times bigger and work 10 times harder, which is very linear. It's a very uh, brute force way of operating. Um, Obviously, it can get you results, could also can burn you out. And it, and it reaches a, a level where um, I think it has massively diminishing returns. But so as an example, Dan and I wrote who, not how. Right. And so he invites you to go to the side of thinking about who rather than the side of thinking all about how. Right. Like if you're always doing all the how by yourself chances are you're not being very strategic. You're also probably doing way too much. That's what most entrepreneurs do is, is their mind goes straight to how. And even the public education system trains you to do all the how, where it's like the most successful people in the world don't go straight to how, they go straight to who. And they find people to do it for them and or with them. And you create a lot more freedom by going to um, the who side. Right. So we wrote a second book called The Gap and the Gain. And you know Dan looks at what is the most positive, effective way I can think. And what's the opposite way, which is the common way. And the, the common way is that high achievers are always in the gap where they're, they're always compl complaining about where they are and where, wishing where they could be. Right. right so right. 10X is easier than 2X is a similar concept where it's like, you can't actually understand what 10X is unless you start to define what its opposite is. How could you actually know what something is without defining what the opposite is? And interestingly, the opposite is 2X. And so just to kind of give a few The opposite things. of 10X is 2X. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, going for 2X growth is going to be the opposite of going for 10X growth for a lot of different reasons. Okay. So I'll explain it to you. So for the first one, if you're going for 2X growth, what that means is, is that you're going for a linear perspective. Actually, since you're you're showing my face now, do you care if I actually show my screen? I would love for you to share your screen. I want to actually just show... Um, I actually just want to show... Um, I'm sharing my screen. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully this works. Can you see my screen or can you just see me? I can't see your screen yet to, to share it. But once, okay. once you share it, I'll be able to see it. Okay. Here we go. Boom. Can you see this? There we go. I'm going to add. Okay. So check this screen. out. This is the core model, by the way, you, I know that you were talking about Napoleon Hill earlier. Yep. So Napoleon Hill wrote think and grow rich and Napoleon Hill defined what a mastermind is. And as he described it, the mastermind is the third mind, right? It's where two minds come together and the whole becomes different from the sum of the parts. Yep. So this is kind of the third mind for me and Dan. So Dan has been teaching 10X thinking for 25 years or more. Um, it was in me writing this book where I had to ask him hard, hard questions. Like I wanted to get really clear. What does this mean? And he came back to me with this model. And, um, and so basically here's kind of how it works. Uh, so if you're going to go for 2x growth, right? So let me give myself as an example. I've sold about a million copies of my books. And so if I'm going to go for wow. 2x, what that means is, is that I'm going to go for 2 million books, right? And if right. I'm going to go for 2 million, I don't really have to change much about what I'm doing, do I? Nope. Well, I can keep going. I don't have to change that much to double what I've done. Right, right, right. Like right. I might just okay. have to take more time, right? And so if you're going for 2x, you can keep this is based on the 80-20 principle. You can actually keep 80% of your existing life, your existing strategy, your existing self. You don't have to change that much for 2X because 2X is linear. 2X is based on your past. It's a past-based strategy to your present and to your future. It's not transformational. And so to go 2X, you can keep 80% of your life right now, your strategy, okay. your clients. You only need to tweak 20%. Maybe work 20% harder or get a new client or maybe do this or that. Right. So this is part of why 10x is the opposite. So 2x is a past-based approach and it's linear, whereas 10x is a far more future-based approach and it's a lot more exponential. So to go for a 10x concept, you want to think obviously 10 times bigger. Uh, and if you if you go for that much bigger, you, it's a massive filter. Like to go for 10x, most of what you're doing right now won't work. Um, right. It, the goal is way too big and it highlights all the areas of your life that are out of alignment. 
it's kind of like mm-hmm. I actually use the example of my son, Caleb. So my son, Caleb, plays tennis and yeah. he wants to play college tennis. And his, and his coach recently asked him, well, why don't you go for pro? And he had never thought about that. Like that, that that's kind of a, a 10x jump going from college to going to pro. Like that's kind of like a, a 10x jump, right? That's like a right. quantum leap. Right. And and so I talked to my son about it afterward. And I said, Caleb, like, I don't care if you go for college or pro or whatever, but like, what did you think about that? He's like, I don't know. I said, well, let's talk about this for a second. I said, do you think that the current path you're on or the current trajectory you're on would get you to the college level? And he said, uh, I think so. I said, all right, so you feel pretty good about your current training plan, your current coach, your current schedule. Like, you think you're going to get there? He's like, I'm pretty confident, but not that confident. Right. And I said, well, what about pro? I said, do you think the current trajectory you're on will get you to pro? What do you think he said? No. Why not? Why do you say no? Well, if he's not 100% sure that his current schedule would get him into college, then then I would think that over time that would diminish and, and lessen his chances of pro. For sure. So I live in Orlando and in Orlando, there's an enormous amount of academies, coaches, like this is kind of one of the meccas of tennis. Right. So there are literally hundreds of coaches that could probably get my son to the college level. Yeah. Do you think that there are hundreds of coaches that could get him to the pro level? No, no, it's a very elite. That's, that's, that's a very elite level. So this actually is based on a concept called constraint theory. Constraint theory is a decision-making theory, but basically the idea is this. When you make the goal enormously higher, uh, and there's actually a lot of research on this, even from a guy named Alan Bernard, he talks about this like seemingly impossible goals. But you know, the point here is, is if you're going for college, there's a lot more potential pathways of getting there. Sure. If you're going for pro or if you're going for a 10x higher goal, there's less pathways of getting there. There's less, you know, you, you have to find far more useful pathways and there's just not as many of them which actually makes it easier to find them it actually simplifies the process and so right. the whole point here is is if you go for 10x it's a lot high, it's a lot higher bar a lot harder filter and so to go for 10x you can only keep the best 20% of who you are and what you're doing and you've got to let go of 80% of what you're doing 80% doesn't meet the filter and so it actually allows you to look really hard and at yourself and realize that almost everything you're doing right now is irrelevant. It's actually a distraction to 10X. Um, and so you're going to have to let go. And so 10X is actually, this is where it starts to get opposite of, of Grant's thinking. 10X is, is actually more about a qualitative transformation more than a quantitative. Like, yes, you can go for quantitative growth, whatever, whatever that is. But in order to get there, you have to actually go for quality over quantity. So Rather than keeping the 80% and doing 50 things mediocre, you actually have to go all in on on the 20% and go deep. And you've got to get 10 times better at this. So like, I'll give you an example. So 10X is actually about less, but less, but better. It's not about more. You actually have to be doing less, um, but you have to get better at what you're doing. And so like Mm. a great example of this is um, Steve Jobs. So Steve Jobs transformed the music industry by, by doing less. Um, right. That was actually his whole point was you have to work hard to get your thinking simple because once you get it simple, you can move mountains. And so what did he do? He removed the 80% of what it meant to listen to music. Back then, when he was inventing the iPod, uh, you had to go to the store to to like, if you wanted to listen to a song, like if you heard a song on the radio that you loved and you wanted to have it and listen to it as much as you wanted, you had to go to the store. First off, you had to buy a CD when you only wanted one song and and like, 15 other, you know, 12 to 15 of the other songs, maybe, or maybe not, you didn't even like, and then you had to carry around a big bag of CDs. And so <laughs> you like, yeah, you know, and so that was kind of the 80% of music that he stripped right. away. Right. He actually right. identified like, what is the thing about music that matters? What if we just helped you get the one song? You don't have to go to the store. You can buy it for 99 cents and you can have all of them in your pocket at once. And so like that, that, that level of innovation. Yeah required him to go really deep into the 20%, not shallow. He had to go deep and focus on quality over quantity. And it's it's essentially the equivalent of going from horse and buggy to car or going from crawling to walking. It's a transformation that makes all new possibilities possible. So 10X is really about quality, not quantity. And it's about less, not more. Wow. So, okay. So 
we're talking about Steve Jobs, but let's talk about um, my buddy. By the way, real quick, by the way, real quick. In my opinion, people who have read this book say that Grant Cardone talks about 10xing the 80%. <laughs> he says work harder, whereas this is really about work, you know, not not just work smarter, but transform. So I, I, that's not actually yeah. my interpretation. And I actually love Grant's book. But a lot of people who have read my book say that Grant's perspective is 10x the 80%, which is do the stuff you don't really want to do, whether you pass that to a who or just eliminate it altogether and go deep and transform this. But anyways, you go ahead yeah. and go with your train of thought. Well, so Dan Altmeyer is, is probably of, of all of my friends, he's your biggest fan and he's on here watching and, and he's recommended all of your books to me actually for a while now. Um, he is in the insurance industry helps people get health and uh, you know, whatever the right insurance programs. How would you apply that to an insurance agency owner or uh you know i do web development i've done web development for 30 years how do you apply that to because for me i think okay if i want more website customers i got to make 100 100 more calls a day right or yeah, that's very linear or, that's very 2x i i get that and that's focused that. on more not better i mean for you so here's an example so i taught these ideas um basically like a week ago at Russell Brunson's highest level mastermind. And there was a guy in there who's got a company that's worth over a billion dollars. His company is doing a hundred million a year. And after yeah. I showed these things and taught these and also honestly more expansive ideas beyond them, uh, yeah. he walked up to me and he said, I now see my next 10 X. I can see how we can go from a hundred million to a billion a year. Um, but it's not, he actually has dental offices, but it's not by 10 times the amount of dental offices. It's actually about providing different levels of service to those dental offices. But here's an example. So mm -hmm. I actually wrote a story of a guy in the book who has an insurance company in Canada. Do you know who yeah. Garnett Morris is? No. Okay. So Garnett Morris's company sells more life insurance by a factor of 10 than anyone else in Canada. Wow. And so here's how it worked for him. So Garnett spent like 15 years growing his business basically from zero up to about 15 to 20 million a year. And he hit the bottleneck. He hit the point where he was maxed out on his own potential because he was the bottleneck of everything going on. And that's a big thing that most entrepreneurs do is they find themselves in the business, not free from the business and working on the business. So in chapter six of this book, we, we talk about a concept that Dan has called having a self-managing team, right? A self-managing team in a self-managing company where they manage themselves without you um, so what Garnett finally did is he finally got a who, who essentially worked as the CEO who could come in and run the company because Garnett's master skill was not running the business. He was involved in everything. He had to actually free himself from the 80% and pass that to a who, who could do it 10 times better than him. In this case, her name was Susan. She came in and she freed him to go deep into his 20%, which was innovating uh, insurance and financial concepts and creating wow. relationships. I mean, he was brilliant, but he couldn't actually go deep in his 20% because he was so busy, you know, and, and a lot of this has to do with the quality of your attention. Like if your attention is on 50 different things, then it's obviously shallow attention. And so right. there's actually a really good book called catching the big fish. And it's all about your consciousness. And if your consciousness is up at the surface, then is all you can see is a small fish. If you're constantly task switching or busy or putting out fires, not only are you the bottleneck of your team and everything going on, but you also are the bottleneck of your own imagination and going deep and finding bigger solutions, catching bigger fish, having bigger ideas. And so what wow. Garnett did is he got a who that freed him up entirely. She actually transformed the business. She actually fired most of the legacy team members who were 2X, <laughs> not 10X. They were 2X because they wanted things to stay status quo. They didn't want things to change. And so she brought on people who could actually transform and she cleaned things up while Garnett was now free to transform his thinking and innovate. That's really what being in your 20% wow. is all about, is getting 10 times better at what you do and coming up with new solutions, in his case, to serve his clients. And so because he was creating these 10 times better solutions and he had a who that could actually build the team out, um, like they over five years, they went 10x, literally. Went from about 15 to 20 million to over 200 million a year. Um, wow. But, but, but a lot of it, and this goes back to Steve Jobs, they were providing 10 times better and more innovative service than anyone else 
because Garnett was going deeper in his 20% and he had who's that could go with him. And this actually, this is actually, so there's, there's two big like chapters, I guess you could, there's the whole book is epic, but like, so chapter five in this book goes through time and about shifting your orientation towards time. Most people have what would be considered a manager schedule where their time is very thinly sliced. They've got meetings every day. They're, you know, that's up at the surface. They're task switching. That's the opposite of being in a flow state, by the way. To be in a flow state, you really need to go deep, not shallow. And rather than having your time thinly sliced, you actually want to have what Paul Graham would call a maker schedule. So you have either have a maker schedule or a manager schedule. Um, Dan actually wow. has his three days where he talks about free days, focus days, buffer days. and But it, the idea is, is rather than trying to solve 50 small problems a day, which is catching small fish, what if you only had one thing you were doing all day or all week? What if it was just figuring out this one problem or just writing that one chapter and focusing on quality over quantity? Um, and so you want to ultimately shift from what would be considered quantitative time to qualitative time where the time is about rich, deep quality and ultimately transforming yourself, transforming your thinking, which is really about what transformational leadership and innovation is all about. And then because you trust yourself and you're going deep, you trust your team and they wow. actually, so that's what transformational leadership is. In order to be a leader, you have to, you have to trust yourself, trust your team, transform yourself, um, and let them transform with you. And they then start to trust you and get committed to your vision. And, and it's a collaborative vision. But yeah, you can't do that if you're the bottleneck and if you're the one who's doing everything. And we provide a ton of different examples of how people free themselves from their 80%, go deep in the 20, transform themselves. Let me give myself as an example real quick because you're just pondering this. Yeah. So when I, was, when I was in my PhD program and I clarified, call it my 10x future self. Right. By the way, 10x doesn't always have to be quantitative. Like me being a graduate student and then becoming a professional author right. was a 10x for me. Even getting into my PhD program was a 10x. You know, going from crawling to walking was a 10x. Me getting on that mission was a 10x. Like it changed my life and it created new opportunities forever. And so I told you the story at the beginning when I was yep. clarifying my future self. I defined my future self as a professional author who got a six-figure book deal from one of the major publishers. Um and that would have been my next 10x. Once I achieved that, I'd have all sorts of new freedoms that I didn't have now. And right. so that clarified my 20%. I started asking questions. I said, you know, how do I get a big book deal? I had asked agents and authors and they're like, well, you got to get a website. You got to start blogging. You got to grow an email list. So that right. led me to my 20%, which I got 10 times better at. That's what led me to medium.com. However, once I actually, and it, let, and it required me to let go of my 80%, which was that university job. And maybe beliefs, fears about sharing my ideas online. Like there's a lot of things in your 80% that are holding you to your current level. By the way, your 80% is your security. You seek security in your habits. And for a lot of entrepreneurs, that could be always knowing what's going on in the business or, or even just wasting your own time, whatever it is. But once I went 10x, so I focused on my 20%. I got 10 times better at blogging, grew my email list like crazy. And then I got a six-figure book deal. Now I'm fundamentally in a different position than my past self. I've yep. gone 10x. However, yep. from my new, my new position, and I'm imagining a new future beyond what my past self could even imagine because now I'm on a new mountain, this 10x is not going to be the same as the last one. Right. And so what got me here won't get me there. So just because blogging was in my 20% in the past, it actually had to shift over to my 80%. I had to let go of it because it was no longer in the 20% of where I was going to go 10 times better and bigger, which was the next jump, which was collaborating, learning about entrepreneurship, you know, in, you know, working with Dan and others, like it was a totally different education than the blogging that got me here. So I had to, I had okay. to let go of what got me here. Go ahead. Ha hang on. Cause I think you just, I think you just like literally gave the secret to life. <laughs> so by the way, that model is something you'll do again and again and again. And using Michelangelo, you're stripping away everything that's not the David. The right. David is your 10x future self. Right. I, but like, okay, so so you you just you literally just so I think I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. I'm 54 years old. I've been an entrepreneur since I was seven. Um I and I'm not employable. So so like when you I think about this, like how many entrepreneurs keep doing the same thing that got them to They're a million 2X. dollars? They're 2X. 
they're working from the past. That's not everybody, a though. Not a seemingly impossible future. Yeah, but once you start operating 10x, you use the future as the filter, wow. not only for your present, but for your past. You start to define your past by the not only the 10x's that got you here. And in chapter four of the book, you know, we walk you through some models of all the times you've gone 10x in the past. Like as an example, you could go back and look at all the times you've gone 10x and you can identify the 20% that you went all in on and the 80% you let go of. You know, even me, when I went from high school kid to getting on that mission, yeah. there was a 20% I had to really focus on and get, and there was an 80% I had to let go of. A lot of that 80% to get on that mission was let go of resentments, high school friends, video games, yeah. right? There was an 80% yeah. I had to let go of, which was my security blankets, my identity. I had to let go of that and go into the 20%, which got me onto the mission, right? But then it was like to get into the PhD program, there was a 20%. Yeah. I had to get really good at writing and research. Uh, and there was an 80% I had to let go of. And so you can look through your past through this lens. Um, yeah. and see all the times you've done this. But often when you become more and more successful, the 80% becomes harder to let go of because you, you, you know, it's a security blanket, you know? And in order to go 10X again and again, you have to operate from a seemingly impossible future, which is freedom-based, not security-based, a sense of calling that like, this is what is important. And then you've got to choose what you want rather than what you think you need. And you've got to trust yourself again to go back into that 20% to get 10 times better and to have an increasing team that you trust to manage, to increasingly manage what's going on so that you don't have to think about it so that your attention can go deep. It's and brilliant. and the, cra brilliant. the crazy, the crazy part about it from like a growth mindset perspective yeah, is that you've, you are 10 times better than you were in the past, yeah. but your future self could be 10 times better in specific areas than you are now. And uh, interestingly, and this kind of goes into the future self book, but like most people, most people project the past onto the present. What that means right. is that they think the past is what's defining the present, but also most people project the present onto the future. And what that means, and there's a lot of research on this, is that a lot of people assume that who they are now is who they'll be in the future, even 10 years from now. Yeah. They don't have a lot of imagination towards their future self. The opposite is what you want to do when you start thinking exponentially. Instead of projecting the present onto the future, you actually project the present onto the past. So this is actually what a lot of researchers talk about. They say that it's more accurate to say that the present causes the meaning of the past than that the past causes the meaning of the present. And so rather than saying the past is causing me to be this way, I actually in the present can redefine my past over and over and over again and be in you know the language of the Dan books that we've written, the gap and the gain, right? I can be in the yeah. gain and transform everything into benefits, learning, growth. But also rather than projecting the present onto the future, you actually want to project the future onto the present. And so you think about a seemingly impossible future and you let that future dictate who you are and what you do in the present, which is a lot tighter filter. You know, it's, it's, it's that 20%, 80% of what you're doing now doesn't meet the filter of the future. And so you got to let it go, which is your past self. Okay. So my buddy, Ramey Albatrawi is a billionaire, lives in Hollywood Hills, has the largest wide body private jet in the world. And I was texting with him this morning. How have do you I get... Have you ridden it with him, by the way? He offered me a flight from LA to New York, but I had to, I had to get back before I could get on his plane. So I'll be on it eventually. But, but the, the, you know, how I, one of my goals is a private jet. I want a private jet. So would right? that be a 10X for you? It would be it would a create, 10X freedom and stuff <laughs> like that. It'd be exciting for you. I mean, the cool part about 10X is it's based on want, not need. So it's like, yeah, you how can do, want that. But how do I get my future jet into the now or pretty soon? <laughs> so you, how would you apply it similarly to how I got the, the PhD? Pro, I mean, got in, get, became a professional author. How would you, what would need to be true for that to be your reality? There's probably a lot about your current self that would stop you from making that you know, a lot of what psychologists would call hidden commitments. There's a lot of things in your life right now that would stop that stop. There's an 80% life that you're holding on to comfortably. that would stop you from fully committing to what would be required for that to be true. Wow. To actually say, yes, I want to actually have this jet. Like you'd have to ask, well, what would have to be true for that to be the case? It's kind of like my son tipping, tipping his scales from college to pro right now you're on the college path. If you wanted to go to pro, right? It's like, well, there's a lot less pathways. What would have to be true? You'd have to strip away a lot of what you're doing and find the few pathways that would get you up there, which according to your goals, you could do it. It would actually simplify your life if you committed to that future and let go of, of the 80%, which is your past self. This is incredible. Wow. 
is all I have to say. I don't you'd know. You have to become to 10 times better and your life would be simpler and your attention would be on less, but better. And you'd be 10 times better at what you do to get up there. If that's what you want. So, okay. You're let's use your son as an example. It's, it, it, does he need to change his goal from college to professional? He doesn't need to, but it would make his life a lot easier. So as an example, <laughs> it would, because think about it. Think about it. Jeez. If he made his goal pro, we'd have to get him a much better coach. Right. If we got him a better coach, then he would have a much better training process and he'd become aware of, you know, there's a concept in psychology called deliberate practice. Deliberate practice is basically, so, so um, Malcolm Gladwell kind of mixed everyone up on this, by the way. Malcolm Gladwell talked about the 10,000 hour rule to become an outlier. And he was focused on quantity of time rather than quality of practice. Yep. And it's not about amount of time. It's about what you're practicing toward. And so if my son actually was practicing toward a higher goal, we'd have to be honest about a lot of the aspects of his game right now that we would never have to become aware of if he was just going for college. There's a much, a much larger margin for error if he's going for college. You know, and, we would, and so if we went for pro, it would actually make going to college very easy because we would have to answer a lot harder questions to go pro we'd be forced to find much better coaches, training programs. He'd have to start training with better people. His game would become a lot more refined because his practice would be towards that goal. There's actually a concept, uh, and we talk about it in chapter four of the book, called fitness function. Fitness function is basically the idea that you're always optimizing for something. And so whatever right. you're optimizing for, which is your standard, is if he, optim if he starts optimizing for pro, it's going to change everything about his process. The goal shapes the process. Um, and so, yeah, he would his life would be a lot simpler and easier if he was going for pro than college. It would simplify his goal. It would simplify his process. Um, it's not like it would be easier in the moment, but he would become better a lot faster. And it would, it would eliminate that 80% for him. That's the, basically confusion, decision fatigue. It yeah. would allow us to focus on what are the few things that really matter. And let's focus on those and get really good at those. Whereas right now he's probably scattered and overly broad in his tennis training. Wow, Ben, this, this is, I, I, okay. So uh, your book will be read by the end of the weekend. I will, I maybe will, we should do round two because once you read the book, you're going to be shocked. I'm just I, I, you. listen, I, you I'm telling know. you, once you read the book, your mind is going to be melted and you're going to want to come back. Like I'm this, this, this book is worth it. Trust me. I already want to come to Orlando and, and hang out with you. So like, listen, here, here's the deal. I, I, I'm an Let's Amazon. Read the introduction and your brain will be melted. I'm, I'm telling am, you. I'm an Amazon influencer, and which means I'm allowed, I'm authorized to live stream directly to Amazon's customers. And I'm going to, I'm an, uh, if you want. Uh, we'll, of course I do. Do it of your own accord, but let's do whatever you want to do. Let's let's go live on Amazon too, and 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 blow after you've read it, up. where you have the full taste, where you have the full taste. After you've read it, we'll mail you the hardcover. By the way, let's 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 get you the hard copy. Yeah, um, I, I'd love that. Read it, and then we'll do a, another one on Amazon, and you take it where you want to after you've absorbed it. Gonna, I, I'm it's gonna it's gonna melt your brain. In a good I'm way. blown away. I, I my wife says the goal shapes the process that's the pe the piece people are missing well if you're going for 2x then the the process is very linear it's it's basically you being your past self and it's very complex um it's very it, it, first off it stops you from even discerning that almost everything you're doing right now is in the 80 percent holding you back um and it's a past-based approach to life which is the opposite of psychological mastery rather than letting the past drive the present you actually want the present to transform the past and continuously learn lessons and and always be in the gain um but also it's non-exponential it's non-transformative rather than just continuing to do what you're doing you actually want to take where you're at think about the next 10x jump seemingly impossible future and let that dictate the filter of what you do which weeds out 80 percent of yourself which is awesome it simplifies but it's hard Hard do letting you, go of that eighty percent, by the way, because that's your this, past self. Those are your habits. That's your old identity. Well, they, I'm I'm fifty four years old. I've done this this You've way done it for many fifty times. four years. No, no. There's a lot of things you've ten x many times, and so your life right now is actually very different than your life was ten years ago. Oh, there's 1, some habits that there's some habits you're still holding on to, but a lot of your life right now is very different from yeah. what your life was five years ago, ten years ago. You're not the same person you were, and so. Your 80% now is different than if I had talked to you five years ago. Yes. 
Some of it might still be in there, but most of your life is not the same as it no, was in the past. That's not. actually a big aspect of mastery over your past is recognizing and appreciating you're very different from your past self. Yeah. You don't have the same mental models. You're not in the same situation. You don't have the same goals. You're not even the same person you were a week ago in a lot of ways. And so like you're not your past self, but you do have an 80% right now. And if you do choose to go to get a sense of calling and mission, Victor Frankl, when yeah. you, you know, when you have a why to live for, you, not only can you bear any how, but you'll find the how. Without yeah. that sense of purpose and mission, your life becomes meaningless. You and I just talked about Frankl. So you need that sense of calling, mission, and purpose. But that's what dictates the present. And that's exactly what Frankl would say, too. You know, you're, that's why he told them they needed a, a purpose and a goal, because that's what actually gave the present not only meaning, it's what gave the present direction. And they could transform their experiences into you know, them achieving, you know, getting out essentially and having a life of meaning and purpose and happiness. Do you have your own podcast? No, I'm just, I'm just here to go on yours, brother. <laughs> Dude, you need I actually, own... I actually have a YouTube channel that we sometimes turn into podcasts. Okay. Um, but uh, no, man, just here to, just here to share, share this stuff with you. Wow. You are, I know you have another appointment, so I don't want to run it right. I'm up actually going to go talk to that guy, Garnett who uh, lives up in Canada and who, uh, who has the, the life insurance company. Are you serious? We're going to go talk about 10 X and he's going to, I'm going to get his wisdom. He's that guy is a sage. That guy is, I, that guy is a sage. He's going to tell me some cool stuff. That that's, that's amazing. I'll bet you my buddy Dan would love to be on that call. Um, so, so he wants, uh, is this available? So the book for is called 10 X is easier than two X. Uh, one thing I will say is, so yes, you can go get it on amazon.com. If you really, really want it right now, uh, we can sell it to you. <laughs> you know, my assistant can make magic happen. You have to ch email Chelsea at BenjaminHardy.com. Chelsea oh, at BenjaminHardy.com. Yeah, C-H-E-L-S-E-A. Chelsea at BenjaminHardy.com. If you email her, um, you can maybe find a way to get you a hard copy, copy or more. Um, one thing I'll say about the audiobook, which is not available right now, but it will be soon. Is is that on all the audiobooks I've ever done with Dan, I actually I almost inter I, I kind of do like a podcast style interview and we stick we stick interviews between the chapters. So I actually interviewed him for three hours on this subject, and wow. uh, and those interviews are spliced throughout the audiobook. Um, so definitely check out the audiobook at some point. But you know you got to get this book. I mean, well, you, this isn't out yet, right? On audio? No, it come. It's it, the book's not even out yet. Now it comes out. On right. May 9th, but we're gonna but you have a copy and we'll get you. But look at I'm, this. I'm talking about we tell the, the we tell the story. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't get the audio. But like you gotta read the intro. We gotta get you this, and then you're gonna and then you can go deeper and deeper in the book I'm, and you're gonna be shocked. I'm I have it. I'm gonna read this. You're gonna be shocked at how much of your life is two X and coming from the past and how much of the eighty percent you're absorbed in because of security and fear. And then once you finally choose your next 10x calling and, and excitement and purpose going back to frankel you go deep into your 20 percent and become 10 times better you can go from cds to, to your version of the ipod i'm i'm ben i'm blown away man i gotta call your mom after this <laughs> so, so here's here's the key look 10x is about higher quality less quantity it's about simplicity not complexity it's about less not more uh, it's about who, not how. Uh, and so it's it's literally the opposite of kind of the common ways of looking at it. If you're actually trying to do 10 times more, you're actually operating 2x. You're thinking very linearly, and you're also thinking in terms of how, not who. And you're not optimizing your attention to get 10 times better and to transform. And so wow. uh, once you shift to a 10x mindset, it really is about high quality, less quantity. And it's about less but better it's about creating those transformations uh, and time really starts slowing down and you start becoming more of a leader where you actually do have a lot of who's that support you. And um, wow. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful perspective and it really simplifies things and it's, it's very nuanced and beautiful. And I think once people start to get it, their lives start to transform and become a lot easier uh, and beautiful. All right. We're going to sell a hundred million copies of this book. Perfect. Does that work for you? Um, yes. let's, 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 but I will say that anyone who reads it, as soon as they've read the intro, they won't be able to stop and it's going to change how they see things. It totally will. Wow. I, I, I'm Ben, I'm at a loss for words. Thank you for, um, for, for being here and sharing. Let's do that live on Amazon and let's figure out whatever you suggest moving forward.
stay with me. I'm going to end this live stream, but I want to talk to you about that when we finish up here and a couple of other quick things. So everybody watching, share that. 10X is easier than 2X. It's easier. 2X is tough. 2X is a grind. 2X is a linear. 2X is working harder. It's doing more. It's, it's, it's all, it's making yourself the bottleneck and it's frustrating you and everyone around you, honestly. You just described my life. So th- thank Perfect. you for that. <laughs> thank Dan for that too. Cause Dan <laughs> is the one who spent 25 years thinking this through. We got to get Dan on Amazon with us. So, so he's saying email Chelsea at Benjamin Um Go definitely grab it on Amazon, but if for some reason or another, yeah. you just need it before May 9th. Yeah. We can maybe make something happen. Is it available for pre-order on Amazon? Yeah, anyone can go buy it. Kindle. So the, the, uh, but if, it, if someone off, really then, wants like this right overnight now. to them, yeah, we might we we might be able to find a way. We'll see. And but you have to prove that you already bought it on Amazon first. We'll see. Then... We'll see. Chelsea knows what she's doing. <laughs> we might need I... to get you to buy twenty copies, and then we'll give you one tomorrow. There you go. There you go. Listen. Hey, everybody go. And where's the best place to follow you, by the way, on social media? Uh, just go to BenjaminHarry.com. You know, so I, I, I've i been making videos on YouTube. Yeah. And so BenjaminHarry.com, you'll be able to check out the YouTube, be able to opt in if you want to hop into the email list and kind of just keep in touch. And uh, that's pretty much it. Awesome. All right, everybody go follow him. Benjamin BenjaminHarry.com, sorry. Um, www.benjaminhardy.com. Ben, if you'll stay with me, I'm going to end the, end the live stream. So we'll see you all later. Thank you so much again. I appreciate you.